Some people say that you have to post on LinkedIn every single day. Who are those people? This is Auto Collabs. Well, Matt Lasher is not one of those people, but when he does post on LinkedIn, I'm telling you, literally everybody and their brother listens. It's like a flock of seagulls flying in like, mine, 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 because you know he's about to drop some serious wisdom on us. And not just that, every vendor, I think, in the whole country wants to be on the West Her roster. Um, but what I love about uh, Matt is he's not out here trying to just purport as someone that's trying to, you know, shake up things or anything like that. He is dialed in and thoughtful and tactical about the conversations and the way he engages people and the way that he even approaches industry dynamics, showroom relationships, retailing, marketing. He's just thoughtful at every move. It's deeply ingrained in him, to your point. Like one time we were doing a series of like, almost like client appreciation webinars, like client only webinars. And we asked Matt to join us once and he hit me up and he was like, bro, I got my timing off, but I'm, I'm at the ski hill with my family, <laughs> but, but it's all good. I'm just going to find a quiet corner. And he straight up found a quiet corner. I don't know many people like you, all of that to say, like you have to have this running, this industry running so deeply through your veins to be able to just find a, a corner at a ski resort and be able to rip out the amount of knowledge. And by the way, to your point about LinkedIn, anytime I see someone's someone posted something to Auto Genius that's trending, it's always a Matt Lasher post. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know, I think Matt is like your story there about the the ski, the ski, you know, the 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 ski trip where he found a little corner. In this interview that you're about to hear. Matt and I were driving in a car on a way to deliver it to Gary Vaynerchuk in New York City, and I handed him a microphone. I'm like, oh, by the way, we're going to record a podcast today. He's like, oh, okay, man, cool. All right, we're going to talk about it. right? So everything you hear is us, just me just asking questions, and he's, he's the one that's actually driving if you're not watching the video. And the depth of understanding that he just has of what's going on in general, it's the least car guy thing you're going to hear, but I think it's incredibly practical and just, I, I think it's, he's just inherently human when he approaches things. And, you know, he's got kind of, a, I, he, I, somebody stole him out of Southern California because he just <laughs> has that vibe. <laughs> so, so, the, so, they, they SoCal wants, wants their guy back. At some point, they'll come, you know, kidnap him and take him back to where he's from. He just doesn't realize it yet. Um, so we hope that you have a good time, as much fun as we did, enjoying this conversation with Matt Lasher. So Matt, you and I are in a brand new vehicle that we're on our way to VaynerMedia to deliver to Gary Vaynerchuk's driver as let's, his next vehicle. Let's go. Let's go, Avi. We're ready. We're, we're coming for you. I, I didn't expect our podcast to happen, but I was like, we're going? We're going to be together? Because it was going to be virtual. I was like, we're doing the sucker in person. I'm excited to be here. I am too. Got your boys in the back, if you can't see. We got we got dueling blue headphoned, uh, beautiful young children. It's a family affair here at Have they at ever Wester. been in New York City? They've never been to New York City. And two days ago, my seven-year-old, Brecken, he uh, he said, Dad, can I come deliver the car with you? Yes. And I said, of course you can. So we're making it happen. We're going to show him Times Square, 
do a little dinner tonight, fly home to Buffalo tomorrow. I love it. Maybe a little Lego store? Maybe. Maybe. Something. Can I afford that? I don't know if I can afford that. (laughs) I think you you can get a couple Legos. (laughs) Just a couple Legos. The auto business is doing okay. Um, You are always the wild card in any conversation. We were just talking about this. Um, you know, you have the industry standbys, and then when Matt shows up, it's usually like, uh, which grenade is he going to lob in? I see he's got a full belt of grenades. I just don't know which one he's going to lob into the conversation. So um, let's just talk for a few minutes about what your perspective is on the velocity of change inside retail automotive currently. Yeah, so I, my observation is I think there's a lot of smart people, well-intentioned people, giving the vision of where the industry is going. Um, you know, I don't know if you have your Amazon shirt on today. Not today. Uh, and, you know, I think that there's a lot of cre- uh, credence and validity in a lot of these statements, reducing friction primarily, um, working on improving the customer experience. But there's also a lot of noise in the system, uh, primarily from people that have the most to gain uh, from this quote unquote disruption. And one of the things uh, that I'm most interested by is successful businesses and why or how they innovate. You have a lot of regionally strong dealer groups like West Her. Um, who are getting stronger. They're well capitalized. They have good processes in place. More importantly, they have the good people in place. And they can leverage technology that's available to them. Um, however, it's not this stark, you know, blow up the whole industry vibe that I often hear um, where dealers are being criticized for being archaic or out of touch um, or old school, right? I think that there's this consumer uh, behavior situation where change happens slow happens really slow over time and so I think um, I think some of the velocity maybe is overhyped by people that are trying to wedge their way into the industry gotcha so you're saying that things are good right now and especially for the larger groups that change is actually happening much more incrementally than you know if you were just to browse the headlines on LinkedIn or kind of look at the news which is saying like the sky is falling change or die you're saying from the inside, it doesn't always feel that way or it doesn't feel that way. When we have big companies, Wester has 2,700 empl- 2, employees, right? So, um, how many how many rooftops? Uh, over 30 now. It depends on how you count the rooftops. We say 35 in our marketing uh, propaganda, though. Um, in about you know 4,000 used cars. And you, so you think about all of these people within that system. They're not going anywhere. We're not going to blow up the system and replace them with kiosks overnight. Right. Right. That's just, nor do consumers want that. That's what I was going to say. Like, what do you see the actual demand? Because, you know, Scott, uh, Scott Beeler, the owner of West Her, is a very hands in the dirt owner. Like I've, I've rarely, rarely seen, especially for a group your size. Um, And you spend a lot of time in the dirt as well. Uh, Very high touch uh, leadership. How many marketing directors are delivering a car today? That's what I'm talking you know, about. Let's and, go. and by the way, I'm pretty sure I picked the very worst stretch of highway to start this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be a little more of a jarring experience if you're watching. We're going to try to chill it out, though. Um, yeah, exactly. Right? Like you're in touch. You're in touch with your managers. You're helping to put things together. So everybody says the consumer wants things one way, but in the showroom, sometimes it's a it's an actual different perception of what you see happening. Um, what do you feel like the consumer position really is when it comes to wanting to do things online or wanting to go EV? You know, if you read the headlines, you would think everyone. And I'm, I'm betting that's probably not the case in the showroom. Listen, man, I mean, consumers say, I don't want to negotiate. 
until they get into the showroom floor, and then all of a sudden they want to negotiate. <laughs> so, you, so you see a lot so, of negotiation. Well, it's, so these days, obviously, with new car inventory right. being what it is, There's it's a little really different. Much of any negotiation, um, yeah, right? the, the narrative is we don't have any. You want to put your name on a list, and yep. however, you know, Westhurst proud of the fact that we don't, we do not sell new cars over MSRP. Yep. Where there's many dealers across the country that are choosing to do that, take that short term. Uh, you know, hiccup in it's the a matrix. Lively debate. It is a live, you know, and like, look, free, free market. Do it. Do what you want. Absolutely. Right? Um, but we made an, we made a commitment to the manufacturers we represent that we would not do that. Um, and so we're proud of that. We're proud of we, we we don't do that. But it has led to some interesting conversations. We have people from out of the out of the area, out of state, calling us, wanting a Chevy Tahoe that we're driving to New York City. Right, because when you're doing national searches, all of a sudden. All of a sudden, right? And so um, we've actually had to decline some business from people that are out of this, out of our area just because um, we want to have some product for right. Western well, New York. Well if, you're limit, well, if you're limited on a product to it, it just it starts to dilute the efficacy of your, your customer retention dollars. Like you can't service them, right? You know, you yeah. know they're never coming back. Yeah. You know, it's a fascinating thing with the shortage of inventory. I think OEMs are, many OEMs are taking a position where people are less important in the process. Um, and I would say this is just a really short-term blip because what's going to happen, I think, is some OEM will produce a few cars and start getting a little bit of market share. And then the others will follow suit. We'll get a little overproduction like we had once we can catch up. Yep. Once we can catch up. And it's probably 12 to 18 months away. Um, one thing I don't hear people talking about, Wester has 10,000 sold orders pending delivery. We have new cars. So we have 10,000 people waiting for their new car to come off a truck. Okay. So, you know, we sell about 5,000 cars a month total, about 2,500 new. Wow. Okay? And you have 10,000 10, so waiting it, to deliver. Even if we stop doing business today, we have four months of sales. Of a full roster. Of just got to get the cars off the truck. So I think that's really going to be the indicator when used car to, used car market starts to normalize back to the mean. Once those sold pending lists start to shrink, um, I think then you'll start to see wholesale uh, the wholesale market behave in a more rational manner, um, and then you'll also see incentives come back. So, yeah, what's what's your perspective on what do you think is going to happen with rebates, um, day supply on the ground? I, I have my thoughts about it. Every, you know, I've heard various opinions, some that I would consider wildly optimistic, um, and then some that I would consider like wildly cynical. Where, where do you fall? Are you going to share any of those opinions, or you want to mind I, I, straight well, away? So this is about you. Listen, man. I'll so, share my opinions. After all right. you share yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you show me. Yours. I share mine every day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, listen, some brands have done a good job with keeping day supply low. Toyota, Subaru come to mind. They've. Uh, pre-pandemic operated in a very lean environment. Mm -hmm. um, I think that some other manufacturers have legacy issues to deal with res with respect to workforces. And I think that there's pressure to overproduce yep. um, based on those systems. So um, I think we'll get back to an environment that has a higher day supply. Um, and, you know, I mean, look, give the manufacturers some credit. Predicting consumer demand three years out or whatever yeah. it had to, it, that's a hard yeah, thing it's right not an so, easy thing right so you miss the mark you produce too many base f-150s or whatever right and you're gonna have to figure out how to retail your way them. out of them right gotta sell them yeah yeah okay so it's you you're predicting a return to that level of of market normalcy but you know it's kind of more of a measured like well we'll see it's like we're gonna ramp down it's gonna be it's not gonna be a faucet 
it's going to be a, a you know like a an on ramp off ramp. I mean, don't forget OEMs make money selling to dealers. Absolutely. Primarily, right? That's, so, like, yes. they want to sell cars to dealers. Absolutely. That's their business. And, and prior to the pandemic or prior to this disruption in supply, um, every OEM representative was primarily a salesperson selling to the dealer, right? Like, that's it's right. this wholesale channel. With a um, whole system in place to sell cars to dealers. Right. And so, I think there's going to be a lot of reasons why people go back to how it was. Um, but the challenge for dealers in particular in a rising interest rate environment. So floor plan costs will go up as inventories go higher. So there might be yep. some reluctance with some dealers to carry as much inventory as they once did. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, the well-capitalized regional-based groups like West Her are going to take all the cars we can get. Yeah, right, because you know you can, you can find somebody to, to buy it. I, I agree with you. I think that we are going to get back, and I think it only takes it only takes one. Right, and the second somebody can run a rebate or incentivize a purchase, there's going to be pressure on everybody else to do the same, and pressure from their dealers to give them something to talk about as well. Um, and you know, cutting out floor planning costs almost completely on the new cart side, anyway, for the first time ever, or at least since I've been in the business, seeing the new car department as an actual profit center on the PL. And not showing it as a loss, I think that'll be um, a very healthy barrier to going too far. And you know, EVs coming back, EVs being introduced to the market is a variable we haven't dealt with before, so it's not apples to apples. And like that whole thing is going to throw a throw a variable that we haven't seen. But so I, EVs, I don't know how much conversation you've had with uh, de- other dealers. I was listening to a single point dealer educating me on ed- energy costs. So he gave me this story that their their dealership. Don't quote me on the exact numbers, but 25 kilowatt, whatever, yep. kilowatt hours is what the dealership consumed. Okay. They put in one level two charger for to service their EV clientele that consumed 50. And a level two charger, so if you're not familiar, the Tesla superchargers that you've heard about that you know just pump a bunch of energy into the car really quickly, can charge up to like 300 miles in like, I don't know, it's like 30 minutes. A level like two, two charger. two hours, I think. Right, right? level two, two, two is to like four. two hours, so it's not as much amperage flowing at the same time. So this dealership put in a level two charger. Is it, And this is a convenience charger that people can just plug into. That's right. And I think they maybe had to have it just... With sure, it's probably OEM a requirement or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. But it was free to the consumer, right? Pull up, plug in. So, so, you, but you have a three hundred percent increase in energy consumption, or whatever that is, right? Or two hundred percent increase. Uh, Do you know what state this was in? Um, I think Pennsylvania. Okay. So I don't. Yeah, I don't know if there's nuances by state in terms of even credits and other things that Man, you may I get. Man, I don't know. I think but. energy is just going up everywhere. So it's it's. How do we invest like, in that? How do we buy some of that stock? Well, first of all, <laughs> how do you buy that stock? That's probably pretty easy. <laughs> but but uh, did the market buy it too much first is the question. So their energy costs doubled right. from one charger. So so you think about the infrastructure constraints. I think about Southern California and brownouts and like not having air conditioning and being have to turn off the streetlights at 9 p.m. and yeah. some of these interesting Well, Texas is having things. an issue right now because they don't have enough. They, they have a lot of wind turbines. And they've built a portion of their grid. And we saw what happened over the winter when the wind turbines froze and people didn't have power and there was a massive grid failure. And now the wind wasn't, hasn't been blowing enough in the middle of this heat spell. So they're also having uh, shutdowns. And yeah, the infrastructure concern majorly, it's like... It's and, that's, and we're operating at, well, I don't know, 3 to 5% EVs, something like that, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a that. small percentage. I mean, and that's sold. 
I don't right. think that's actually cars on the road. Okay. That's just like so, cars yeah. sold. Right. We're like 3 to 5%. So you got to think cars on the road's got to be just a fraction of that number. It to me it feels like we all move to an environment where every gas car will be a hybrid of some sort. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, and I think Toyota's that's actually leaning in on that strategy. It They're going to make sense. a hybrid of every model because that's I mean count lean on Toyota to be conservative and measured in their approach. Uh, pop culture I think is driving the conversation right now. No pun intended. Um and, and we'll see. I mean, obviously, we have some outspoken friends like Brian Benstock, who even talks about the environmental impact. Um, are we going to be able to keep up having to strip mine an acre of land to even produce one lithium battery? Then what do we do with the batteries when they're spent? Right. Um, and on and on and on. I spoke with my brother-in-law who lives in an area of upstate that we're familiar with and it just has um, you know hundreds of windmills. And a, a friend of his is, is part of the maintenance crew. And each wind turbine takes 300 gallons of oil wow. to lubricate it. And you they need know to that. change it. Yeah, they don't one, advertise and they that. They need to change it once a month. Incredible. So, so there, there are also like deep, deep rooted issues. Can we provide the energy? Are we actually doing anything? But adoption is going to be driven by infrastructure, and like, how fast is that going to be? And what is that going to do back to our conversation, and incentives, and rebates, and inventory? Like, how are we going to support it? I think there's just. And there still be there will be dealers selling like so you know Wester as the market shifts we will sell more and more electric vehicles in proportion to what consumers want. Yep. But those systemic like big changes maybe commercial trucking some of those other areas you know that's probably where most of the EV activity happens first I would guess. So just want to use our last few minutes here to talk about marketing because that's you know you're, that's what we you're do. yeah I, I consider you a savvy operational. Um, force inside the dealership because you know how to get things done. But really, your, your claim to fame in the automotive world is as a marketer. And um, you, you come from it from the perspective of being inside a large group, and we see groups getting larger and larger and trying to figure out what to do with their marketing departments because often, especially when acquisitions are involved, there's fragmented vendors, there's fragmented uh, staff, there's the, the struggle to centralize perhaps. Um, where are you right now and where are you putting your focus for the next you know, year or two? Yeah, well, we, we've recently in the last year, Wester has added about uh, 10 stores to our network. So um, we're going through our own growth phase internally of how do we structure that. Historically, we have been a really centralized marketing team, um, but we haven't grown our team proportionate to how we've grown our dealerships. So there's this uh, maybe environment where we're not able to get to as many dealerships as we'd like to or provide that uh store level support as often as we'd like. Um, the one bonus, I guess you'd call it, during the pandemic, most of our efforts have shifted to a higher level branding thing that's more group oriented in nature. Our Team West Her stuff, our Josh Allen, Steve Tasker, Deion Dawkins kind of content. So we're, we're operating almost like a single rooftop from how we're supporting our company as, as a whole. But as we shift back to the mean, um, I think there's going to be more and more desire for the tactical things, the offer things, the direct mail initiatives, the emails, the newspaper ads, the, you know, all the, all the uh, levers that we pull in an effort to try to gain incremental sales. So we're thinking about how do we restructure ourselves? Uh, how do we optimize our internal staff with the appropriate incentive structure to seek out additional work? Um, so there's there's interesting uh, ebbs and flows there. I think every group has to go through that. Um, but I guess I would just 
say this one thing. Um, you got to have empathy between marketing and sales, and I talk oh, about that a, a fair bit. You know, sales salespeople, sales alphas are short-term thinkers often, um, and marketers often think a little bit longer term. Because right, they're both incentivized to be. At least the sales staff is typically incentivized to be shorter term. Right. Thinking, you got right? month to month. It's right. You got sales, you got sales to hit. You're right. You got sales objectives. So, yep. um, so I think I think you got to deploy empathy on both sides and understand that there's always going to be a little bit of healthy friction between the two teams. Yep. Because of that difference. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and marketers, we need to challenge ourselves to be a little more short-term, a little more tactical, a little more in the dirt, mm-hmm. as it were, to quote uh, Clouds and Dirt, Gary Vee. I love it. Um, but but I think I think that's the, that's the struggle, right, just to deploy enough empathy. So if you could change, last question, if you could change one thing, snap your fingers and change one thing in the automotive marketing ecosystem, what would you change and why? I would change our tech technology mandates. <laughs> so I think the free market has been disrupted and I think that there's um, some intermediaries that are stifling the ability of some groups to quote unquote innovate in the direction that uh, we're hearing we should. So that's what I would change. I would, ch- I would change the co-op mandates uh, and technology uh, mandates because there's scale challenges with that and it kind of brings everybody down to the lower average. Scale challenges. Matt, Thanks so much time for uh, thank you so much for taking some time with us Dude, in the middle of for, your drive. Thanks for making this happen, Paul. Thanks. Let's go. Okay, so we're talking pre-show about just the the depth of knowledge that Matt has. You you now convey to us heading into the interview that this all happens while not you are driving, but but that he's driving through the streets of New York, just nonchalantly talking about uh, the hype in the industry and the shortages would, and just whatever. I would call it the streets of New York. It would be more like the highways on the way to New York. But, okay, but you, I, your story cool. definitely that's elicits great. more drama in my mind. Okay. Well, <laughs> I think it's just because you grew up in that neck of the woods. And But if, I would be white knuckling it. Um, he said something that I think is really interesting. A statement that can only be made when you're looking at a subsurface layer of this industry. He said that um, change happens slow until it doesn't. That's basically the sentiment that he shares. Like, yeah. And sure. and then he can confidently say, I think all of these, these conversations we're ha- having about how quickly things are changing is overhyped. What was your mm-hmm. sense as you were sitting next to him having this conversation? His, his attitude and his posture was like, it's a foregone conclusion, right? It's just like, it's just going to happen. Like it's already, it, in his mind, it's already happened. You know, and he's like, and at some point, everybody else will kind of catch up and realize it. But until then, we'll just keep doing what we're doing, you know? <laughs> it's, so yeah, yeah. he knew it was a truth to him. You know, I, I one of the things that he constantly communicates and he communicated in and through uh, this interview as well is that that people are, are are really not understanding the level of complexity that that you that you ha- that you actually add by removing people um, from the equation, and whether that be in digital retailing or direct to consumer, and and all of the things about pre-sold vehicles and the way that you know salespeople are communicating to consumers and to people that are have waited to pick up this, ve- and that that the people element of being in business. Is and these are my words, but I think you would agree that that that's the unique selling proposition to retail automotive, and 
that if people can understand that what we're really doing with things like technology or online purchasing or the way that we manage inventory or anything is freeing up people to be more human in their interaction in the sales relationship, um, that e even like, you know, they, they have streamlined Western created that it, what they see that as is freeing people up to better serve customers in credit like challenge credit situations so mm -hmm. um i just i love his level-headed approach to to that conversation in that don't lose sight of of the people part of this business and not just the uh the car business is the people business but that it's not it's not just that it is it necessitates people being integral part to every process that we have across the industry it's the truth he's not somebody to buy into the hype and that's one right. of the things I love most about him is, is he'll take it he'll take it measured and say, well, let's see if that's actually true. Everyone seems really excited right now. So um, we hope you enjoyed that little get to know you drive with Matt Lasher. I hope you get to meet him and talk with him a little bit at a SodaCon, or you can just look where the seagulls are gathering on LinkedIn and realizing Matt is just dropping wisdom in his latest LinkedIn post. So on behalf of Michael Cirillo, Kyle Mounts here and myself, thanks for joining us on Autocollapse. Sign up for our free and fun to read daily email for free shot of relevant news in automotive, retail, media, and pop culture. You can get it now at asotu.com. That's A-S-O-T-U.com. If you love this podcast, please leave us a review and share it with a friend. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Welcome to Auto Collapse. Why are we recording? Are we rolling yet? <laughs>